0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in today. We're excited to be bringing you this webinar on modeling for high productivity vehicles in metropolitan areas. Lots of great content today, so let's get to it. My name is Liz and I'm here to provide any technical support and will also be moderating the session. If you need to contact me for any reason, please use the chat box that's located in your sidebar. For those that don't know much about us, Austroads is a peak organisation of Australasian road transport and traffic agencies. We support our member organisations, those listed here to deliver an improved road transport network. We're proud to bring this webinar to you today. In terms of our structure, we use a program management approach where each program focuses on an operational area of the road system. This OSROADS project falls under the network program. Our speaker, who I'll be introducing (laughs) shortly, will present for around 35 minutes. You have the opportunity to ask our presenter any questions for our live Q&A, which will go for 15 minutes. We are recording today's session and we'll be sharing the footage on the conclusion of the webinar. The presentation slides can also be downloaded in the handout section in your webinar toolbar. We believe an interactive webinar is a good webinar, so please send through any questions that you have. Simply type your questions into the questions box at any stage of the webinar, and we'll answer them during question time at the end. Also, please let us know the slide number your question relates to. So the objective of this session is to give you an overview of the findings of an OSSROADS project on the modelling of high productivity vehicles in metropolitan areas. The information that will be presented is detailed in the OSSROADS report, which is available to download on the OSSROADS website Or in the handout section in your webinar toolbar. So without further ado, I'd like to present to you and introduce our speaker, Dr Ian Espada. Ian is a team leader, network operations at ARB in Melbourne and has more than 15 years experience in the transport planning and traffic engineering fields. He has held previous roles as a researcher, transport planner, survey specialist, Transport Demand Modeler, and Transport Economist in Australia, Philippines, Vietnam, and Indonesia. Hi, Ian. It's great to have you here.
1: Thank you very much, Elise.
0: So here's the agenda for today, and I'll now pass it on to Ian. He'll now take the lead.
1: Okay, thank you very much, Elise. The agenda for today we'll cover the report on the uh, Oswald's project on modeling for hyper thief freight vehicles in metropolitan areas. And we'll go through key items of that report, including the project background and introduction, the literature review, stakeholder consultation, modeling and numerical experiment results, and conclusions. And afterwards, we'll have a Q&A. On to Project Packer on the introduction. Firstly, I'd like to introduce the team that uh, contributed significantly to this project. Uh, project manager in particular, uh, Sang Nguyen of the Transport for New South Wales. Also I'd like to acknowledge my other co-authors of this report, uh, Kevin Wu and Andre butchko The uh, very important review team. Uh, that uh, guided us through the research progress. We included the Austro's Project Working Group, the Stakeholders, Road and Traffic Authorities, the Austro's Freight Task Force, and the Austro's Board. The, bo- the project team comprised of representatives from various uh, jurisdictions, including Jeff Norton, John Colomiris, Phil Bullock, Tang Nguyen, Justinieta Balbarona, Kuga Kagatas. Marinus LaRouge, LaRouge, Andrew Poole, Jeff Potter, Eric Henderson, Carmelo Cristano, and Fiona Allen. They all contributed to the review and providing guidance to these uh, project results. At the very beginning of this project, uh, back in late 2016, the issue that we were particularly concerned, or the research was particularly concerned of, was the introduction of high productivity uh, freight vehicles in the metropolitan area. Back in 2016, we took a screenshot of what the BBS2B routes are uh, in uh, Australia. And uh, in that uh, time, a lot of the routes are available for access in South Australia. according to the NHBR website. And some routes are available uh, in the NHBR uh, access routes in Brisbane, uh, but uh, not much uh, uh, else. And uh, these PBS2 be, uh, vehicles, which can carry two 40-foot containers, uh, does have that particular issue with um, uh, hindered access to metropolitan area, and therefore, it was considered um, that some of the productivity gains that is uh, evident in the application of pbs to b uh, trucks would not be realized as a result of a hindered access to the metropolitan areas and therefore limiting their access to key freight uh, points and corridors. Uh, as an update though, we had a look at the uh, situation in early 2018. You can see a lot of developments in the Victorian uh, Highway networks and a lot of these routes are now um, either open uh, or conditionally approved or somehow restricted in some areas as well. So, but definitely you can see in New South Wales and Brisbane, uh, the access to these metropolitan highway networks is still uh, somewhat constrained or hindered. Therefore, we do feel that the relevance of the issue. Is uh, still ongoing and that is also still relevant. So, what's the research objective? The key question that was asked as part of this project was uh, what happens in metropolitan operations? Now we, we have a fair bit of information in rural highways or uh, uncongested uh, highways. Uncongested networks, but the key question is uh, what happens now in the metropolitan area, which, as I've earlier described, has, still has those constraints in terms of access. So, what is this metropolitan network operation? It's characterized by a lot of place functionality. Therefore, there are pedestrians, cyclists, a lot of vulnerable road users uh, in the area of operation. And that is a uh, definitely something that is different from other types of operation. The other mode of operation in metropolitan network is the level of saturation, which is very different uh, in rural highways. So you do have that uh, presence of traffic lights. And the stop and go operation in highly saturated conditions uh, does offer a different type of perspective is uh, that is required, and we need to understand how these other road users are impacted by PBS2B access. To go about this answering the research objective, we conducted a number of steps in going through uh, the project. The first one is we conducted the literature review. Then we consulted with stakeholders to understand some of the key concerns and to validate what is the scope and, and the concerns that they have with regards to to PBS2B access. And then we developed the modeling framework, and we also conducted numerical experiments, uh, including a case study on King George's Road in New South Wales. And based on that results, we presented our findings. On to the literature review. We consider different aspects of the impact of PBS2B uh, in the metropolitan area, and uh, we do have limitations in terms of looking at the uh, road wear and tear, the physical wear and tear. So that was considered out of scope. But apart from that, we look at various aspects of operation and uh, how does the PBS2B uh, operation in this mix of traffic, metropolitan traffic, impact these operational performance of the road network. And we look at the various aspects, including congestion, delay, crashes, environmental impacts, transport costs. And uh, we look at the literature and uh, find out what 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 past researchers have said. Because definitely, this is not a new topic, and uh, a number of studies have already been conducted. We wanted to see what the state of information uh, and uh, Sure enough, there are a number of research that has been done, and uh, one of that is in regards to congestion delay. So one thing that was very clear is that there's a number of studies, uh, including case studies such as in the uh, Swanston Port Precinct of Port of Melbourne, wherein they introduced high productivity freight vehicles and observed significant change in the traffic mix uh, 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 in the order of 10 to 25 percent after two years in favor of operating larger vehicle fleets. So definitely, we can see that uh, introduction of PBS2B would have a, a change in the chocolate mix. So, what then does that mean with regards to the uh, congestion impacts? And a number of studies also be conducted on, on, on that is, issue. Uh, and uh, for example, Lake Ferreira, Stewart, Ramsey, Bunker, uh, and others, and they did seem to have a uh, identified particular risks that. While the reduction in number of truck trips would occur, the acceleration profile, the length, and uh, operation and various operational aspects of high productivity vehicles seem to indicate the congestion delay would increase, particularly in saturated networks. So that risk has been identified in past studies. Now going to the vehicle-to-vehicle crashes. In terms of crash impacts, we separated vehicle-based crashes to vulnerable road user crashes because they, they obviously they all, they have very different characteristics. And with regards to vehicle-based crashes, uh, a lot of studies found that the hyperactive vehicles do indeed are much safer than our alternatives, up to 64% less. And and other estimates vary from twenty four percent, twenty-five percent. But definitely it seems to indicate that the high productivity freight vehicles do would result in lower number of crashes. Now, many of these applications do uh, are based on highway operation, not necessarily metropolitan operation, though there are some studies that covered metropolitan operation, though not in a significant amount of detail. But definitely uh 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 the, these kind of observations have uh so far been looking at uh, rural highways now while there are concerns regarding the transferability of these uh conclusions to metropolitan network there doesn't seem to be any indicative sign that uh say otherwise in fact uh a study done uh that in Metropolitan uh, Melbourne, that uh, the application of uh, hyperduty freight vehicles, uh, by Christos uh, showed that there were no adverse outcomes in t- terms of safety. So there, there seems to be uh, some understanding that uh, vehicle-to-vehicle crashes uh, does not necessarily is a key issue, and in fact, it may be uh, result in uh, reduction in crashes as it appears to be. Now, with regards to the vulnerable road users, uh, it's a different story. Uh, the uh, literature have sh- uh, indicated that trucks tend to be overrepresented in uh, crashes with vulnerable road users, which includes motorcyclists, pedestrians, and cyclists. Uh, a B3 study did show that the uh, the uh, Trucks uh, have higher, uh, in the order of eight to seven to eight percent crashes with vulnerable road users, while they typically would uh, be about only about three percent or four percent of the truck uh, overall truck traffic. So they do tend to be overrepresented, and including uh, New Zealand. Have indicated that 30% of cyclist deaths in urban areas involve trucks and and others. So therefore, uh, the issue with the uh, Volvo cruisers is uh, is a concern. And while unfortunately there is no specific study that differentiated between different truck types, so we cannot say for certain uh, that PBS2B vehicles are uh, more uh, riskier than other alternatives. Given the information available. However, uh, research in, in Netherlands do indicate that the, one of the pack, key factors involving crashes with one board users tend to be in areas of disability, side run risk, and swept paths. So these factors do are heightened in with when we're dealing with longer and heavier trucks. So therefore, there is uh, a concern about the impact on vulnerable road users. In terms of the environment, it is very clear that there is there would be a reduction in emissions, including fuel consumption. Uh, that has been shown in a number of studies, including pyrologos, like Carrera, and Stewart and others. And uh, the even with the analysis of the Australian Transport Assessment Planning Guidelines, do indicate that a 13% to 27% reduction in emissions uh, would be uh, realized with the introduction of PBS2D vehicles. In terms of amenity, the reduction in truck ships could potentially improve amenity. And while trucks do have a, tend to have a negative effect on places, place impacts, or place functions with regards to amenity, it is not well understood on the uh, how different truck types impact amenity, so we are not we do not have enough information to uh, fully understand the amenity impacts. With regard to transport cost operation cost uh, the it is very clear that uh, there will be significant savings as a result of the introduction of pbs two b vehicles. It could be in the order of uh, 10 to 28 percent based on uh, various researches conducted by Hassel, Thompson, NTC, Ritzinger, Ostrodes, and others. A whole lot of studies do indicate that they all, general, consensus that the transport cost savings would be significant. So the next step of the uh, project was we look at. And interviewed key informants and to determine what kind of key issues that they have with regards to has to be accessed in metropolitan areas. And here were the findings: of the key considerations, safety, amenity, and community acceptance was uh, paramount consideration. At nearly everybody uh, that was interviewed, which included state road managers, freight transport operators, the national vehicle heavy Heavy vehicle operator, automobile organizations, transport, heavy vehicle researchers, even the Australian Bicycle Council, the Brisbane City Council, all point to the issue of safety, amenity, and community acceptance as the bare minimum to be able to allow PBS to be accessed. It was quite surprising that while congestion delay was uh, highlighted as a risk, but it wasn't considered critical, perhaps not as critical as the safety issues that was mentioned earlier. Definitely transport cost savings is the primary driver and it was highlighted that while we look at the metropolitan area, we need to consider the regional effects of PBS to be accessed to the regional economy uh, and while we may be to improve or impact metropolitan operation we need to consider the whole uh, analysis the whole route and the whole impact of PBS to be access. so that is something that we need to bear in mind while we're looking only at the metropolitan operation impacts we need to be cognizant that uh, the e- impacts could be far reaching over and beyond metropolitan operation issues the other key issue uh, was the cost of infrastructure upgrade and maintenance. This is somehow related to the first issue, with safety, amenity, and community acceptance. For example, bicycle separation in in metropolitan access for PBS to be need to be considered. So if the risk uh, is considered to be high enough that we don't want cyclists to operate alongside uh, high productivity freight vehicles we may have to consider uh providing separation and uh, therefore the cost of that separation need to be considered as part of PBS to B access and part of project cost it should be considered as part of the economic review or economic analysis of PBS to B access impacts the last key point there is also a very important one, and we look at the issue with regards to um, take up rate of PBS to be access, which is a key element in modeling their impacts. And from, from the key informants interviewed, it's apparent that the line haul or truck routes with no constraints, meaning weight restrictions or the facility, the loading and unloading facilities, are able to accommodate PBS2B vehicles, the take-up rate could be significantly high. Over 50 percent was considered a reasonable estimate in terms of the take-up rate. Otherwise, all these other restrictions simply lower the take-up rate and it could go down to 15 to 50 percent. In fact, this was somehow validated in some of the take-up rates that was observed in Brisbane and in Melbourne. So these uh, high take-up rates simply point to the fact that these pbs 2 b vehicles are very desirable for operation, and uh, we need to therefore consider them uh, as desirable, as the market desires them. That means there must be economic benefits uh, in in, in their operation. But we do need then to consider the, the side effects in terms of safety and congestion and others. So at this stage, I'd just like to remind the audience that to post your questions uh, when you have them and let us know the slide number related to for easy reference. And then we can review these questions uh, at the end of the presentation. All right, now to the last stage of the report. So now we have a, a good understanding of what the literature, literature says in terms of the congestion delay impacts, the safety impacts, the transport cost impacts, the emissions impacts, and others. This is somehow validated uh, and confirmed by the stakeholders. And now, we're going to examine them through a modeling framework. Now, the, it was desired to, to at this stage to to do the anal- to do the review of PBS to be accessed by modeling, because we do want to, we, we still do not fully understand, and every case is different. So, therefore, uh, while a general policy advice could be useful, at the end of the day, we still need to consider various permutations and various site-specific conditions. At least at this stage, maybe down the line when we have enough experience. Uh, enough uh, learnings then we can generalize the findings but for now uh, we it is worthwhile to to consider it was considered worthwhile to consider site-specific analysis because of the importance and the implications of of PBS2B and it's it's, it's good to have an informed decision than otherwise so the framework follows a very traditional approach uh, with one exception. Uh, first thing, we need to have a proposed route, of course, and from that proposed route, we need to have a safety, amenity, and community acceptance review. Why is that important? Because uh, it is, uh, according to the key informants uh, interviewed, this must be a precondition to access. So, all the safety and amenity issues need to be addressed or mitigated or countermeasures need to be implemented, and this should be part of the cost. For PBS to be accessed, to be balanced with whatever benefits that could be realised as a result, so uh, that's uh, an important uh, step that uh, we need to really look into the uh, these uh, preconditions of access. So once you have the PBS to be route defined, uh, that could involve changes in both the infrastructure, say for example, widening or uh, swept path improvements, or it could be uh, operational. Could be providing, for example, if uh, all pedestrian movements needs to be fully protected, uh, some of the cycle paths need to be provided. May have impacts with regards to the length of the, the width of the carriageway and so on. So all of that needs to be taken into consideration and uh, have a PBS to be group defined. And we then applied micro-simulation. Micro-simulation was selected because uh, some of the dynamics involved, the queue length, the interaction with other vehicles. Uh, we need to have a more detailed modeling approach uh, to be able to understand how how the, perfor- the network will perform with PBS to be accessed. From there, we can determine the performance at impacts and look at the uh, if there some benefits that are involved, then we can have a comparison with cost and have a better understanding of uh, what decision needs to be made. So to be able to make all of this work, we need to have a predefined parameters for micro-simulation. So we uh, define various uh, key parameters, including vehicle dimensions acceleration and deceleration under different load conditions, under driving mode, and different grade. And also, some microsimulation requires power-to-weight ratio uh, information, so we also included that. How we did how we did that, I'll explain in the next slide. The PDS2B parameters were developed using a software called DriveSim. DriveSim uh, is an ARB software. And it, what it basically does is it, if you enter our input powertrain specifications and mass and driving mode and grade, we would then be able to to simulate the operation of the vehicle uh, and determine acceleration, speed limitations, and so on. So the powertrain specifications that was used as input to drive sim were all derived from uh, relevant uh, assessments that was done by ARB in the past, so we do have a database of what the part inspects specs of a PBS2B vehicle is, and using our uh, heavy vehicle teams at ARB, uh, they were able to provide me with these uh, required parameters. And with these re- parameters, we can then enter them in micro simulation, and therefore our micro simulation results are grounded in real-world uh, PBS2B. Performance characteristics. Okay, so now we have set up our micro simulation model and we are ready to do some numerical experiment. And through the recommendation of the Transport for New South Wales, we examine King George's Road in New South Wales. Uh, the King George Road uh, is shown on the map uh, in front of you. And the key conditions of King George Road is that it's, uh, we, we look at actual traffic demand, which is saturated. Which you can imagine it's in New South Wales, in Sydney it tends to be saturated, congested. And we look at, uh, traffic conditions in 2016 and projected up to 2036, so 20 year hence. And the traffic mix uh, on that uh, particular stretch of road is about 1% articulated trucks, 0.8 something uh, percent articulated trucks. So uh, the network was reviewed and there doesn't seem to be any need to modify the network, so we kept the network as existing. Now we did analysis based on the actual conditions of King George's Road, uh, but uh we we could we came up with some findings and recommendations, but uh, we wanted to test different scenarios so that we can somehow look at the sensitivity of the micro simulation model, and as well as uh, glean some important policy insights. What happens under different truck type conditions at uh, a percentage uh, truck mix conditions? So. We examined the truck mix of one percent to up all the way to eight percent as I scenario testing. All right, so here are the results. In the the y axis is change in transport cost. Change in transport cost. Cost here includes everything, including delay cost, uh, congestion delay cost, operational cost, emissions cost, and uh, vehicle operation costs or transport costs only limited to that section of road. Now, if you want to do further analysis on more broader sections, that can be done. But for now, we're really only focusing on the impacts on King George's Road. Now, on the left hand side is the off peak conditions under saturated, and we examine take up rate from 0% to 70%. So what we found was that there was really a negligible impact up to eight percent articulated truck mix. so there's uh, at the end of the day really there's no effect however we did note that the uh, there is a reduction in freight transport cost and this applies both to the off-peak and the peak conditions as well now on your right hand side is the peak situation which is saturated conditions And again, the same graph with the y axis and change in total transfer cost and the take up rate on the right. So 0% means PBS access is not allowed, so therefore there's no take up. And uh, going to the right, the higher the take up rate. Now you can see at uh, different truck mix percentages, at 1% is really negligible, Uh, 4%, then we begin to see some increase in transfer cost, which means uh, uh, worsening conditions, and at 6% and 8%, it becomes much more evident. In fact, at 8% percentage articulated can reach up to about nearly 15% increase in transport cost. So that's a very noticeable change in transport cost. Again, as mentioned earlier, uh, in this situation, while the total transport cost for all vehicles increases. The, there is a reduction in freight transport cost. So, if you only focus on the trucks, there is a reduction in in t- total transport cost. But if you add in the impacts of the cars, uh, the the it swings the other way around. So, therefore, you can imagine that many of the uh, cost that is being borne here is based by, is uh, borne by general road users. So. We were uh, asked to examine uh, what are the impacts by different access types. So we considered two types, off-peak only and all-day. And you can see under different uh, truck mix at 1% articulated, which is the actual uh, situation King George's Road, uh, under all types there's really no change and for the articulated trucks there's a benefit and the same with the all-day access. Now, with regards to higher truck mix, under off-peak only situation, there's no change in overall or very marginal or undetectable change, although there is a benefit for articulate trucks. But when you apply access all day, that means including off-peak and peak peak conditions, there is a noticeable disbenefit. Uh, overall for all vehicle types that means uh, overall is a net this, uh negative result in terms of economic analysis okay so this uh, already uh, uh gives a hint that maybe we should consider uh off peak access in for king, king george's road while all the access can be considered we do need to con- uh take into account Benefits, potential benefits outside of the route. But for now, for example, if the route is longer and much of the route is unsaturated, maybe overall there'll be benefits. But uh, for this particular type of analysis, we're focusing only on the specific route and uh, all in all, they said this benefit. Next, we look at motorway. It's a hypothetical scenario, but we focus on a very typical situation of an unmanaged motorway. And we particularly were interested in the merge area because that's where most of the problems are on the motorway. This is the physical capacity constraint is on the merge area in the typical case. And we look at, uh, demand situations off peak and peak and truck mix ranging from 3% to 16% articulated truck and 3%, uh, and 16%, 16% uh, articulated trucks is in situations where uh, uh you have, a, uh, for example, uh, M1 motorway wherein it leads to a particular uh, significant um, freight attractor, uh, you could reach up to 60 percent articulated trucks in such cases. Uh, the network, uh, again, as mentioned earlier, focused on the on-ramp. And we did the simulation again, and we, here are the results. On the left-hand side is off-peak situation, unsaturated conditions, and you can see as the take-up rate increases, uh, the total transport cost for all vehicle types decrease as the percentage of articulated trucks increase. So therefore, what what that means is that uh, generally the the general road users are not affected at all. Uh, So there's a neutral impact to delay, uh, but uh, the there is an overall lower operation and emissions cost. In particular, the freight vehicles experience significant reduction in operation and emission cost. So as a result, the higher the truck mix, the higher, the bigger the benefit uh, that would result in total transport cost. Now the situation in the peak situation is slightly different in the sense that uh, yes, three uh, percent to nine percent. Uh, you experience a benefit uh, as take-up rate goes up. At 16%, there is a disbenefit, but it's really uh, marginal. It's only like one percent. So this is probably within the uh, range of non-statistical significance, and it would definitely be likely to be imperceptible. And it it is uh, uh, can be considered as Negligible, And again, if you consider – we're only looking at that particular segment of road on the on-ramp. Now, if you consider uh, the whole route, uh, some parts of the free motorway network may not be congested. Therefore, there will be benefits there. So all in all, you can see benefits both in the off-peak only access and also the all-day access. So you can already see that uh we can either consider both off peak only and all day access for motorway and in fact the all day access may be the best way to do it so finally conclusions so the congestion delay based on the literature review the risk is there is a risk particularly in high truck shares and saturated arterials is generally a concern on motorways and arterial roads with low truck shares and under saturated conditions The vehicle-to-vehicle crashes is likely to be neutral or could potentially result in less crashes, so it's a potential benefit. However, when we talk about vulnerable road users, there's a risk. It's not concretely established uh, because we still lack the differentiation uh, analysis that differentiates different truck types, but definitely the risk appears to be there, and uh, we took a conservative approach and uh, recommended to consider countermeasures. Uh, in areas in the metropolitan area with vulnerable road users. The environmental impacts are expected to be a positive. The amenity, it's likely to be positive, but it's not well understood because we don't know the impacts of different truck types to amenity. The modeling framework was developed and key assumptions were developed for accurate and consistent analysis using microsimulation. The King George's Road, it is recommended to apply but based on network performance impacts. We haven't considered the uh, safety impacts uh, on the King George's Road, but basing only on operational performance, uh, it does seem to be uh, uh, recommended to apply based on the benefits that was observed. The interior road access, all day access can be considered when under saturated or low truck share. Off peak access only can be considered otherwise. So that means under saturated conditions, and if it's not a strategic route, uh, maybe we should only consider off-peak access. The motorway access, uh, is, uh, different. All the access can be generally considered. So with that, I'd like to finish my presentation and open the, the line for questions. Elise, uh, over Excellent. to you for the motorway.
0: Thank you, Ian. So we've received some really great questions from the audience, which we'll go through now. And the first question we received is, is there any information on noise vibration for HPVs versus semis?
1: Yes, that's a very good question. In fact, uh, that's one of the limitations with regards to the amenity question. We don't know. Uh, we uh, uh, we don't have that information to make a specific uh, determination. Now, of course, we we may be able to uh, theoretically say that uh, larger, heavier vehicles would create vibration, but how does it impact uh, real-world um, uh, uh, understanding or real-world responses? Uh, we we have no concrete answers to date. Okay,
0: thank you, Ian. Another question is. Can you give more detail of the 50% take-up rate, which relates to slide number 20?
1: Slide number 20, okay. Take-up rate, okay, slide number 20. Okay, take-up rate meaning the uh, the, the primary uh, the target or the primary uh, trucks that would, be affected by the PBS2B are the, the articulated trucks from, uh, carrying 40-foot containers and and B doubles. So uh, the that was uh, uh, the take-up rate. Therefore, means that 50% if if there are no constraints and it's a line hole and uh, and there are no facilities that would constrain that the take-up or the conversion to pbs 2 v vehicles, we would uh, likely get a very high take-up rate condition. Um, Opinions differ in terms of exactly how much. It could be up to 100 percent under the right conditions, but it could be somehow constrained by physical conditions. But in general, the cases – generally, the opinions of the key informants and the, the freight operators in particular uh indicate that if there's a chance they would do so they will all be constrained by capacity by uh, uh capital uh, issues on their part which means that maybe in the long term it will convert uh, but otherwise uh, uh it's very highly desirable uh, the only limitation with those limitations with the limitations of present the take up would drop to in the area of 15 to 50% but otherwise it would be very high
0: Brilliant. Thanks for clarifying, Ian. So we've received some questions in relation to slide twenty-four. The first question is: How was the drive sim package validated?
1: Uh, the drive sim uh, has been validated uh, internally. Uh, they have done uh, field tests on drive sim. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot answer in detail regarding drive sim because I'm not an uh, expert. Uh, on it. My colleague Andre Buchko uh, handled it. Uh, and some of the information, unfortunately, is uh, proprietary. So that's why I couldn't explain too much. I'm sorry to say. Okay.
0: Do you know if DriveSim is available for download? Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, as mm-hmm. uh, a uh, proprietary software of ARB, it has been used in a number of off-road studies, but uh, it's best to communicate with our heavy vehicles team. Uh, You can course it through me and we'll probably have a discussion offline. Okay,
0: excellent. A question we received from Emma in relation to slide 24 as well is, has the PBS framework considered the pavement conditions, maintenance records and such?
1: Whether the acceleration characteristics, say, for example, consider um, unpaved road or paved road, if that's what you mean. Um, we consider only the ideal conditions of a paved road. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot answer in detail in the general, I'm not an expert on drives. So perhaps if you can send me, shoot me an email, I'd be very happy to get my colleague to help me answer that question.
0: Okay. Thank you, Ian. Uh, another- Question relates to slide 17. So why is there a lower crash rate for these types of vehicles?
1: The, uh, well, the reason according to the, uh, to the literature is a number of things. Uh, one of the, is that these high productive freight vehicles are equipped with um, the latest technology so hence, they may be uh, able to operate more safely. The other reason was that the drivers have been properly trained and uh, cognizant of the limitations of the truck or at least with the dimensions and the operational trucks. So, therefore, they tend to be uh, safer drivers. So. Uh, exactly a very good question, uh, wh- wherein we need to identify exactly the reason. Uh, but to date, those are the reasons that have been uh, put forward in the literature.
0: Thank you, Ian. Uh, a question we received from Andrew is, has the increased mass of pbs to b vehicles been considered as potentially increasing the severity of crashes involving HVs?
1: Uh, no, uh, we haven't gotten into that level of detail. There are some signs that mass equals uh, severity, uh, but at the, at, uh, also you, might, you may want to consider that uh, drivers and being aware of such limitations may tend to drive more safer. So we actually don't know uh, what's the end result, how we can dip- differentiate between frequency and severity. Uh, there was a study done uh, abroad, I think it was in the U.S., if I'm not mistaken, that the mass does equal to severity. So there is – if you look at severity alone, it is uh, it seems to be evident in the literature. But overall, if you combine both the frequency or the likelihood and the severity, uh, we haven't really gone into that level of detail of understanding.
0: Okay. Thank you, Ian. Another question is, in general, has PBS modelling considered the pavement condition? So in other words, I believe the condition of the road would affect your limitation to allow for certain HV on any section, for example. So do you have any comments on that one, Ian?
1: Yes, uh, of course. uh, The impact on road wear is a significant issue with regards to hyperactive freight vehicle modelling. It is a limitation of this project, unfortunately. So we haven't really gone down into the detail, but there are a lot – uh, the, the road wear impacts, I believe, is well known, and there are a number of studies available that uh, that point to the fact. So therefore, we can incorporate the wear tear on pavements uh, using – utilizing other studies, uh, and perhaps some of my colleagues in the pavement uh, discipline can answer that better than me. But definitely, there is a way to combine both the operational impacts, which we focus on, and uh, infrastructure where they there. Mm,
0: okay, thank you, Ian. Another question we received from Susan in relation to slide 20. So do you think current design standards for separated cycling infrastructure be suitable for increased number of PBS vehicles, or should these be examined?
1: <clears throat> should be examined. I think uh, we... Uh, we need to understand. Uh, uh, I think it, it is it is understood. For but for example, in certain uh, we call it network operation plans. Network operations plan defines strategic freight routes and cycle routes. And what's supposed to happen is that uh, with the uh, cycle routes, the network operations plans would encourage. The use of these roads or corridors for cyclists, but very often, sometimes when you review network operation plans, they do coincide. So it is a um, when we look at, for example, what is the level of service for safety for cyclists to be able to operate in designated cycle routes. uh, It is not explicit Mm -hmm. that when there are trucks involved. Uh, what presentation trucks and so on and so forth. We need to therefore consider uh, separation uh, as part of the target level of service oh, yeah. or desired level of service for cyclists operating on uh, para- parallel or simultaneous routes with uh, strategic freight routes. So, we definitely we need to uh, consider our guidelines in designing network operation plans with cyclists and, and freight routes combined.
0: Excellent. I hope that's clarified your question, Susan. Another question we received relates to pedestrian safety. So as PBS level vehicles require extra stopping distance compared to semis, how does it affect the vulnerable road users, especially at unsignalized pedestrian cyclist crossings?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely we need to consider uh, the, not just in terms of acceleration, but also length. Uh, we design pedestrian protection based on clearance time, so when introduction of uh, these high-protective freight vehicles or longer freight vehicles where there's pedestrian crossing, we do need to have signal review. In fact, it's part of the modeling framework that was proposed, uh, and the full pedestrian protection needs to be considered, and that uh, certain queue uh, spillback and storage requirements and so on and so forth do not complete on pedestrian safety.
0: Okay, oh, wow. excellent, thank you. So in relation to slide 29, would the introduction of smart motorway technology increase the cost benefits yeah, on motorways?
1: Managed motorway, We at, the, at this stage, we did not consider managed motorway operation. Uh, how, how will these graphs change if we consider managed motorway situation, Uh, I'm not 100 percent certain how will that play out. Uh, I'm thinking of various variables that may affect the result. But nonetheless, if the unmanaged motorway does not seem to indicate any significant impact, uh, apart from potentially the geometric requirements needed for acceleration of High productivity freight vehicles from a stop to a go to a to a reasonable amount of speed say plus minus ten twenty kilometers of the speed limit to bring it up to operational speed may be an impact but operationally uh i with these results i i don't i cannot seem to foresee uh that it will have any in fact it may even be uh, more of a negligible impact than otherwise. Uh, but then again, the issue is when when we're dealing with uh, the acceleration geometric requirements, uh, we may have to take into consideration that they do have a different acceleration profile than other than other than other vehicles.
0: Okay, thank you, Ian. The last question received from Ahmad was, "Can you provide your contact details?" If you go back, if you go back to the question slide.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. My, my contact
0: oh, details yeah. are here. Yeah. Excellent. So Imad, if you wanted to get in contact with Ian, there's his contact details there. One last question is have you considered that recommending access where traffic share of HPV is low may have an increase may have on increase the traffic share of HPV?
1: Uh, sorry, once again, can you repeat that? So have here. you
0: considered have you considered that recommending access where Traffic share of HPV is low, may have an increase, may have an increase on the traffic share of HPV.
1: Oh, I see, I see. The uh, uh, the what what means the growth in uh, high-profile hyperbolic vehicles? Uh, yes, actually, the King George's Road, uh, we the model, uh we do we did consider uh, an ever in, uh, a much more higher increase rate of of high productivity freight vehicles, uh, I think their growth rate is uh, in the order of four four to five times or three to four times, three to five times anyway, the general traffic uh, increase. So there are indications that the, uh, articulated trucks are growing faster than general traffic. So there are uh, that can be considered and we can incorporate that in the model. Uh, but that's to what the extent this project can do. Uh, with regards to really looking into dynamically, for example, um, changing policies or changing uh, requirements on HPFP access, change the, uh, the, the economics, uh, does require a different type of modeling. We need to have uh, both the transport demand model and uh, the vehicle type selection optimization model together. Uh, that's not an easy job, uh, but at the very least, uh, the framework does provide a high-end growth rate, a higher level of growth rate for um, high-priority freight vehicle models. Traffic.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Ian. So that's all the questions that we've had. We will start closing the session shortly. And uh, before I'd let you go, I'd like to let you know of some upcoming webinars that we do have up. So we do have a webinar about local road access for high productivity freight vehicles. So this webinar will outline the barriers to local road access for HPVs and some of the options available for local road managers when considering road access. And this will be on 27th of March. On 27th of February we have a session on national performance based asphalt specification framework and we also have another webinar on pavement design outlining the latest changes to guide to pavement Technology Parts 2 and 4C. So if you'd like to participate in these webinars, please go on our website shown on the slide. Also, just to let you know, we have had some requests to launch a podcast for these webinars. We looked into a podcast system, which is basically a podcast with video, and we've set up a page on the Podbean app. If you use Podbean, you can search off to find us. However, we will be launching on iTunes and other podcast apps and we'll spread the word once it's available. But as we close this session, we'd like to thank you for participating. We would like your feedback on our webinar, so feel free to fill out a survey which will pop up on the screen after the webinar. And also, if you had any further questions, feel free to get in contact with us. But lastly, I'd like to thank you, Ian, for presenting today.
1: Thank you, Thanks, thank you, everybody.
0: Thank you, enjoy the rest of your day, everyone.